first-time visitors to Rio de Janeiro inevitably follow a similar routine, taking a stroll on Copacabana and climbing the Corcovado to take a picture with the famous Christ the Redeemer statue, usually with their arms wide open, trying to avoid the massive crowd around them. But few, if any, know anything about Little Africa, a region in the heart of the city that represents black heritage. The name Little Africa, or Pequena África in Portuguese, has been featured in books, songs, and lyrics of famous samba schools. But it remains unknown to most people, Brazilians included. And that's not by chance. In a conscious effort to erase Rio's black traits, the city has literally paved over places where black intellectuals, artists, and runaway slaves once walked. This week, we dig up that history. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. In the São Francisco da Prainha Square, the statue of Mercedes Batista, the first black ballerina to perform in Rio's municipal theater, symbolizes black culture and resistance in Brazil's wonderful city. Marks of that ancestral presence can be found in nearby spots, a region that is also called Little Africa. Edmund Rudge, you are a collaborator of the Brazilian Report in Rio and you visited Little Africa recently. So Little Africa is located in Rio's, you could say it's it's the, the city center, centro, like the downtown neighborhood, um, but it's principally in the neighborhoods of Gamboa, Saúde, and these neighborhoods that are concentrated basically along the commercial district in Rio, not too far from the central train station, um, and really in, in plain sight, which is the scariest part of it. Like, this is... I was thinking about the neighborhood because I had only been there either, you know, during work hours to have lunch or during Carnaval. And that was, that's basically it. And I think that's where the majority of people get their exposure to this neighborhood without knowing anything about the history. You did a sort of private tour, right? Uh, Professor Mauricio Santoro, a political scientist at the State University of Rio, took you there. Taking this tour with with Professor Mauricio was such a privilege um, because yeah, it's, it's areas of the city that I had visited before with basically no idea what I was getting into. Um, Pequena Africa is historically, it's, it's, it's a location and a center of Afro-Brazilian black resistance, culture, thought. Um, it's, you, you have a mixture of, of elements in there. During this podcast, we're going to play some clips of that visit. And I warn you, the sound is not 100% clean, as it was recorded in the streets, which are really, really busy during the day. We start our tour by Largo da Prainha. So Largo da Prainha used to be the heart of Little Africa, this old neighborhood in the city of Rio, which concentrated former slaves and uh, people who were born in Africa or who were born in Brazil but had this common African heritage. 
And this was also part of a very big network against slavery in 19th century here. We can think about them as an underground railroad, but located in the middle of the biggest city of the Brazilian Empire. So when we discuss Quilombos, many people believe that they were always in the countryside, far away from the big cities. Well, some of them, like Quilombo dos Palmares, were exactly like that. But we had Quilombos inside the big cities, in the urban neighborhoods, and we had many Quilombos that were very close to the cities. For example, the neighborhood of Leblon, which today is an upper-middle-class neighborhood in Rio, Uh, used to be a quilombo in the 19th century. And actually, they used to cultivate flowers there, the camellia flower, who was a symbol of the political movement for the emancipation of slaves in Brazil. So people would pick these flowers cultivated in Leblon and use, uh, use them in their lapels, give them to friends. It was a political symbol. And here in Little Africa, we had many small restaurants and small hotels which were owned by former slaves. And they were meeting points for the people who were part of these political campaigns for emancipation and also for slaves that during their breaks, during the day, would come here to chat with friends, to exchange information, to gossip a little bit about what's going on in the city. So it was a, a political space and it was also a, a place for culture, a place for talk to, about Africa, talk about Brazil. It was a very busy and lively neighborhood in the 19th century Rio de Janeiro. How would you, I mean, just for people listening, since they don't have an image, how, how would you describe the area right now? Or how is it typically used? Or what does it look like during the day or at night? Or what does it look like now as compared to back okay, then? Okay, so in the 19th century, the sea would come until here. So it was part of the Rio de Janeiro sea shore. Then there were some big urban reforms in the beginning of the 20th century. And this neighborhood became more isolated from the rest of the city. And it started to, it stopped to be such a, an important meeting point. But in the last 15 years, in the last 10 years, this area is going through a revitalization process. Mm. And it's becoming important again. So if you look around this, this square today, you are going to see many startups about technology, many places about social movements. Uh, there are graffitis on the walls talking about important characters in the Afro-Brazilian political struggles. And there is this very interesting statue in the middle of the square of Mercedes Batista. She was the first black dancer in Rio de Janeiro Municipal Theater. So this place that is the symbol of upper-scale culture in Rio, and she was the first black dancer there. So it's important to see her, uh, to see her here in, in, in this place. So what we are seeing now in Rio is the rediscovery of Little Africa. It's becoming important again for the city, although there is still a lack of recognition, a lack of important museums, of important places of memory in this part of the city. It should be much more important than it is right now. What, what do you think led to the, the current revitalization and recognition of Little Africa? In part, it's because of the stronger uh, black movements that we have in, in Brazil right now, but also because the port zone of Rio, where, this, where Little Africa uh, used to be located, is also, was also going through a revitalization process in the last years. We've had many public reforms here, big public works, including the rediscovery of the Valongo Wharf that we are going to visit uh, today. 
So it was part of this general trend in the city. The tour continued through Pedra do Sal and then the suspended gardens of Valongo. Of Pedra do Sal. So Pedra do Sal is a strange name. It means something like the salt stone, but there is an explanation to that. As I was telling you, uh, until the beginning of the 20th century, this place used to be the Rio de Janeiro seashore. So the sea came all the way up to here. And in this neighborhood, there used to live many people who work in the docks or sailors. It was a, a, the life of this neighborhood was linked to the port of Rio. And the Pedra do Sal was the place where the dock workers would bring the products from the ships to redistribute them, to sell them along the city. So they used to bring food here or clothes or whatever. So that's this name because of that, because of the salt trade that it was linked to the port. And it was also a meeting place after work for the people who were busy at the docks. So they would spend their days unloading the ships and they would come here at night to sing, to dance, uh, to meet their, their girlfriends. So it was a place of music, it was a place of culture and it was a place of work. And the majority of people in this neighborhood used to be black. Some of them were slaves or former slaves, some of them were born free, but they had in common the African heritage and the, the black skin. So this place is very important for Afro-Brazilian memory. And it was part of the recovery of this neighborhood, you know, uh, saying how important the place is to the Brazilian history, and people meeting here to play samba, people meeting here to discuss uh, Afro-Brazilian politics, and there is a political and judicial struggle going on right now to declare this place an urban quilombo, to say that the buildings around, around here should be considered part of this cultural heritage. But this is a political struggle, I think something that's it's been going on for years, and uh, the neighborhood changed a lot during the 20th century, uh, so became more or less a Portuguese immigrant neighborhood. You can still find many old Portuguese women, old Portuguese men who came to Brazil as immigrants and they are living here or their sons. But it's also very important for the history of the city, for the history of black culture in Brazil. But sadly, there has been a big lack of interest for many city administrations here about this place. Mm. I mean, it's hard even to find something around here that can tell you how important it is to the city. You know, some official note, some official plate. So it basically is a, a neighborhood that has been part of a social mobilization that has been important for civil society, but not so much for the government, not so much for the public authorities. So Edmund, during this tour, uh, are passers-by able to see landmarks showing just how historically important the whole area is to Rio and, by extension, to Brazilian history? Or would you need a guide to properly grasp what you're seeing? No, I, I think for this kind of visit, you absolutely need a guide. Uh, like I've said, the Pedro do Sal, people frequent on a Monday night to party, basically. And you'll notice the, the, the graffiti art on the walls. Uh, a plaque that was there was stolen, so this was this this place that used to be a center of black cultural resistance, composed of former slaves and runaway slaves in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Now it's just 
it's it's been completely taken over. Um, you could walk right by it without knowing any, without having any idea of what it was or what it is now. The hanging gardens that overlook the Valongo market, they're full of exotic plants and European statues. It's, so it's it's bizarre the first time you see it. Uh, but as the professor sort of explained to me how this came about, it's a project of beautification around 1910, 1911. And in Brazil, beautification usually means whitewashing. When you have Greek and Roman statues standing out in a city that is historically black, you, you're, it becomes very clear what the intention was in undertaking this, this sort of beautification. And it's, it's funny because I had actually had other tours of the city before, uh, just a free tour where our tour guide explained to us that Pereira Passos was responsible for making or attempting to turn Rio into a, into a tropical Paris, basically. So you walk through Sinelandia and the Lapa neighborhood and you see the municipal theater, you see the, the, the Museo das Belas Aches, you see a number of European buildings that were clearly constructed to establish a European center within within Rio, but she dismissed it as just sort of one of the you know, one of the greater mayors that Rio had had. But looking at it from a more critical standpoint, you can really understand what what the intention was in in terms of erasing sort of pieces of history. Edmund, you come from the United States, a country where racial tensions are very present. So my question is, how would you compare the ways in which racism manifests itself there and here in Brazil? It's an interesting comparison to make, and it's difficult because we don't have the same kind of makeup. But for example, my cousin asked me the other day, what's what's something that Brazilians don't seem to understand about the U.S.? And I said, well, they have difficulty understanding why we're so segregated in terms of families, friends, um couples in general because we don't just the word interracial is so used here because we it's it's something bizarre uh, you don't see many interracial couples versus brazil it's it's so common it's i think it's you have a much starker division in the u.s and you can more easily highlight and point to racist practices because we had it codified into law for so long we had we had jim crow on the books so you could actually point to specific instances of um, legal preferential treatment for whites, etc. Et Versus in Brazil, a lot of this, yeah, was early. It's explained away very early as as part of the the rainbow myth, and that and you hear this today from from my Brazilian friends too. It's that it's not we don't have racism. Everything can be explained by uh, socioeconomic class and status. These are things that happen to coincide with race, but are not specifically racist. The same way that we explained away racism, saying that if we have a black president in Barack Obama, then racism can't exist. It's the same sort of rhetoric that's used today in Brazil to say that when we have uh, a black Supreme Court justice or we have uh, some of the top congressional deputies are black, this is pointed to as a as sort of evidence that racism doesn't exist. But it's the same sort of glossing over um, that doesn't hold up once you dig deeper into history and question more deeply the motives behind certain policies and certain attitudes. The Rio de Janeiro City Council is about to vote on a law to recognize Little Africa, but the case is everywhere to be found. I mean, take the gardens. The main access has been shut down by authorities, part of the lame posts have been stolen, and there's graffiti all around. And it has become a sort of unofficial residence for homeless people. When you walk through this neighborhood now, 
it's it's full of graffiti. Most of the neighborhood, these are abandoned buildings or closed buildings, even during the day. Um, it, so part of the disrepair seems attributable to the state's finances and the city's finances following the recession of 2015 and 2016. However, for me, that was the only explanation I had for why the neighborhood looked like that beforehand. But the idea that it used to be an urban quilombo, that it used to be the equivalent of the of the salons, right? These were these were centers of black thought. This was the, literally the resistance following the abolition of slavery. So the, walking through these neighborhoods now, I feel like it's so important for people to know that there was that there was something there before, that it wasn't just these aren't just storefronts that fell into disrepair during the recession. These storefronts are relatively new. <laughs> They're less than a hundred years old. Uh, and these they were placed over existing historical sites. Um, so I think that's that's important maybe to note too that it's not when you walk through many abandoned not abandoned and sort of rundown neighborhoods in Rio and there are plenty nowadays. I think it's important to to remember that it wasn't just it's not just because the recession hit. You know, it's not just because of hyperinflation in the '90s that this neighborhood fell apart. It's there are things that were there before these neighborhoods even and with the coming and going of different mayors, you have so many different social projects, so many different urbanization projects that it's easy to to forget what was there before. And I think that's that's important too. Edmund, I purposely left maybe the most important part of the tour for last. What is the Valongo Wharf? So this was the largest slave port in the world following the fall of the Roman Empire, basically. Um, and you, it's situated there in, in the middle of Rio's city center, basically covered over. Um, even where the slave market itself was, is now just a regular plaza, um, cemented over. It has a bus stop, has regular stores around, with no commemorative plaque or anything to mark it as a destination. And Valongu, um, the actual wharf itself, so the point of entry for slave ships, um, is now it has now been declared a center of it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it has a plaque, but that's about it. This is the Valongo Wharf. This is the Valongo Wharf. So we are now about one mile from the Hanging Gardens, and about one mile from the former slave market. So this was the wharf during the 19th century that received the slaves that came to Brazil. They would disembark here and walk up the last mile until the slave market where they are, were going to be sold. So when I bring my students here, many of them make a comparison of slavery in Brazil with the Holocaust, or with genocide. And if we use this comparison, I would say that the Valongo Wharf is our Auschwitz. Something around one million people passed through this wharf as slaves. Many of them died in the slave market because they were so weak from the crossing of the Atlantic. Many of them have their lives destroyed because of slavery, because of the brutality of the system. And the wharf was underground for over one century. When we had the big urban reforms in Rio, the beginning of the 20th century, the mayor decided to put the, this wharf underground was part of the process to erase the memory of the city. And it was rediscovered during the last reforms in the city, 
to make the port zone the new business district of Rio. It's part of the campaign to host the Olympic Games, to modernize the city. And because of the, this new importance of social movements, of anti-racist movements, the black movement in Brazil, they put a lot of pressure on the mayor, and he was also sympathetic to their views. They say, okay, let's rediscover the Valongo Wharf and let's give it uh, the importance that it, it deserves as a place of memory in the city. So it became again visible. You can come here, you can, you can see it. There are some official plates telling you this, the history of this, this monument. But even so, it's much less, gets much less attention than it deserves. So this should be a place that every school children in Rio should visit. You know, people should bring flowers here or to pray here, like they do in concentration camps in Europe. This is the importance of this place for us. And it's interesting because you can see here two layers of uh, brickwork in the wharf. The first one, the more simple, used to be the wharf for the slaves. But after Brazil signed international treaties with Great Britain forbidding the slave trade, this wharf was closed. The slave trade continued, but it continued as a smuggling business. So officially it was not allowed anymore. And instead of that, the Brazilian authorities built a second layer of the wharf more carefully designed because it was the wharf that received the Italian princess who became the Empress of Brazil in the 19th century during the reign of Peter II. You can see that as a kind of the first mega event in Rio. There was this big makeup in the city. I say let's erase again our past of slavery, let's erase again our past concerning the slave trade and let's receive this new European princess that's going to be our empress. It was this big makeup operation in the wharf. And this is very typical about how we deal with our brutal and, and violent uh, past, how difficult it is for Brazilians to address this difficult history that we have, and how is still a process that's going on. We still have uh, lots of work to do. For example, it's really a shame to us that we don't have a big museum about slavery, a big museum about Afro-Brazilian culture. We have the Museum of Tomorrow in this neighborhood, but this is so typical of Brazil. We are discussing the future, we are discussing the tomorrow, but we are not addressing our past. We are failing to come to terms with our violent and difficult history. So how can we have a bright future if we don't discuss these issues? And there are many important things to discuss, not just about slavery, but also about the importance of Afro-Brazilian culture. For example, if we look across the street, there is this big warehouse that it was built by André Rebouças. Uh, Rebouças was perhaps the first black uh, Brazilian engineer in the 19th century. He was also an important uh, leader in the emancipation movement. And he created this warehouse, which nowadays is part of a social movement. There is a discussion in turning it into a museum. 
This neighborhood was also one of the birthplaces of samba. Samba was created in many places in Brazil, not just in Rio, but also in Bahia, also in Minas Gerais. But this is one of the places where it was created. So there are lots of interesting stories to tell about these neighborhoods, not just about slavery, but also about samba, it's also about uh, resistance, also about all the important and, and beautiful things that Afro-Brazilians created in this country. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script, and Edmund Rudge produced this episode. A special thanks to Professor Mauricio Santoro, who made himself available and took Edmund for a tour in Little Africa. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. And make sure to visit our website, it's brazilian.report, and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And our free trial is really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also support independent journalism by donating any amount to the Brazilian Report. Go to brazilian.report slash donate. If you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, our handle is at Brazilian Report. And that's all for now. We see you next week. <laughs>